on page 11 in our study guides. Our Savior has come. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, under Central says Jesus was born to be Savior of the world. And so a lot of the time, most of the time, I mean, this is, you know, we've been talking about this. It's kind of, uh, you know, Christmas is a kind of our, it's our holiday. This is what we get excited about. This is the stuff we celebrate. But it can also become... At times, we allow it to become redundant, uh, rhetorical. We say things, a lot of the same things, around Christmas time. And I'm going to key in on one thing I want to point out to you. Um, that it's like, okay, we know the story of Jesus' birth. I mean, you should, right? Rightfully so, you should. But it's if you really consider all things, it's not a story that should become old to you. In fact, even to say or even to start to grasp with the feelings and emotions that something of that magnitude could become old should make us check ourselves. It's like, whoa, what am I even thinking? <laughs> I guess in a sense it's like that's almost blasphemous to say that the birth of Jesus or talking about the birth of Jesus might get old. A lot of it is just because of our culture and the way that we see things. But with the birth of Christ... We were given a lot of things, right? We were given a lot of things. I guess what I'm, I want to get to before we get going this morning is that I am thankful for the birth of Jesus. I am thankful for the time spent on the planning and the things that went into allowing me to be somebody that is what we call Christians. Amen. I'm a Christian. Yeah. I love Jesus. I've repented of my sins. I have accepted him as the Lord of my life. That means something to me. And I was thinking about this this morning, sitting at the table and just letting it kind of mull around within me. And I was ta thinking about the things that I was thankful for. And I was, and I'm not talking about like a rhetorical, like just kind of going through the list, not a checklist. I was kind of letting my heart just reach out and grab those things. And have you have how many of you have ever done that before? You kind of go down and you think how thankful for you are for the things that you do have. Thinking about where I am at as a person, none of the things that have been accomplished in my life would have been possible without Jesus Christ. None of them. And often we get, you know, we'll hype, you know, we kind of hyperbole certain aspects of our life, you know materialistic things in our country and things like that, and there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not, I'm not wanting to say there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just saying there's, at times we have to back away and take a couple steps back and really look at our life from a different angle, and we start to see the value that God has placed in our lives away from and detached from materialistic things. And so what that does is that that actually adds a lot more value to it. I don't, let, let's just be honest, I don't really shed tears of joy over materialistic things that I've been given. But I do get emotional over the sacrifice that allowed me to become saved, to be rescued from hell, and I see the condition of my children, I see the condition of my family overall. None of it would have been possible without Jesus Christ. So, uh, thankful. I'm very thankful this morning. So I hope that as we go through this, that we can be thankful for what the, the birth of Jesus means to you and I. It means something. More than a story, right? It's more than a story. It's more than something that we hear at Christmas time. Um, Christmas time has become, well, it's industrialized, right? It really has. It's, it's industrialized. I mean, we can say that. We live in that. And, and believe it or not, I mean, they even industrialized things back in Jesus' day. I mean, there were people on the sides of the road selling things and, and uh, uh, doing Caesar worship, so they had little statues of Caesar. You know, They did commercialization back then, too. It was just on a different note. But for, for, for you and I, after all the commercialization and all the things that we've seen take place in our nation, it does us good to come back to the very simple, basic thing. The very simple, basic thing that there was a Savior that was born. 
into this world to be the ultimate sacrifice for mankind. And it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. There's nothing more sweeter. There's nothing better that you're going to hear than this story right here. It just doesn't get any better. And I hope that you uh, can take that with you and that can be something uh, that you can meditate on. Under Let's Get Started, the best news of our world our world could ever receive <clears throat> is the news that our Savior has come. God had promised this event from the time of humanity's choice to sin throughout the patriarchs and prophets of the Old Testament. He had revealed that the promised Messiah would come from David's line and had preserved his people in the face of their enemies and their own disobedience. You know, we obviously know the story. I mean, he brought them along. They were disobedient. He still preserved them. He still brought them along. And that's where I start to see myself. Isn't that where you see yourself? Someone that was broken, undone, you didn't have anything, you didn't have a shot, you didn't have a chance. And then here he comes into your life and he <clears throat> preserves you. Now this has become something, uh, a, to me, of a very special thing because we all know, you know, as you get older, you know, your life gets longer and it starts to become historical and you start to look at the things that you've done and you start to kind of go over your past and you're also... Uh, life is ongoing. So you're still trying not to make mistakes, right? You're still trying not to find yourself back in the same situation that you were in before. And so it's this this ongoing thing. So it, it, it comes back down to that thankfulness. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I can look back at those things and I can see the preservation of Christ in my life. I, I can see the preservation of, of God working. And at the time, I couldn't see him. Anybody with me on that? Isn't it odd, though, that you usually when you're in that moment, you can't see him? And it's usually a while after. And you look back, you're like, whoa, I didn't really notice that. I didn't really notice how it all lined out. I didn't really notice that that happened a week after that happened. My goodness, that was perfect timing. God knew. And usually you can't see it until you look back at your story. And you start to see what God has been doing. So God is, God is amazing like that. But it's... Yeah, his ability to preserve, um, even in the midst of your enemies and disobedience. When the time, when the time came, he chose two vastly different groups of people to be the first to worship him: Jewish shepherds and wealthy Gentile wise men from far away. The news of Jesus' birth was for every strata of society and every person on earth throughout the ages. So. When we say every strata of society, what does that mean to you? If Jesus is for everybody, what does that mean? Lower, middle, and upper. Lo that's, a, that's a good economical way to put it. Mm -hmm. Lower, middle, and upper class. And we know that in our own country. We know what those things mean. And so do you think that they had those classes back then too? Yes, indeed they did. Jesus died for everyone. Under, uh, under humanity. Jesus died for everyone. That's what, it's an inclusive, it's an inclusive thing. Now today, that's when you say inclusiveness, that's totally twisted. Jesus died that everybody could come to him and repent of their sin. Now that, that's what's, to me, that's what stands out because most of the time that gets confused. People look at Jesus as being the one who, who, um, represents being able to come to him any way that they are. And then it kind of cuts right there. Yes, he does accept you the way you are. Absolutely accept you the way you are. And then you repent. Because the trash that you brought to him is like the realization, I know that what I'm bringing to him is not right. When it gets twisted is when we think that the stuff we bring to him is acceptable and right. If you don't believe that, go back to Cain and Abel, and you tell me what happened in some of the first sacrificial, the first sacrificial things. Abel brings a, a, a sacrifice that's worthy. Cain doesn't bring a sacrifice that's worthy, and what that broke down to was he did not bring a proper sacrifice. Basically, we don't know what the sacrificial system was then. We just know that he did not bring a proper sacrifice. And God basically said, yours is incorrect, you didn't bring your best, and you did. I honor yours. I don't honor yours. There's no way that you and I can expect to come before a Savior, or I should say God the Father, without a proper sacrifice. But we were given a proper sacrifice. 
And so the next step is then repenting of the, for the reason that he died. A lot of people don't understand that. It's like, why did he die? He died for you and me, correct? Okay, but you got to take that a step further. Not just as a human, but for the sin of mankind. So if that's the case, and if that's why he died, then that's going to have need some repentance on my part in order to activate what has been given to me as free. Now, I hope I didn't confuse you in that, but I'm trying to... I'm trying to make a point here because our world has got the idea of Jesus totally messed up. The idea of, of who Jesus is and what he actually gave forgiveness for. He gave forgiveness for everything. But you have to actually be sorrowful for being in sin. You actually have to look at that and realize, oh, that was wrong. In today's world, people don't look at it that way. That Jesus will he'll accept me the way that I am. It's like, oh, you have forgotten some things in the way this works. Okay. Um, the events surrounding Jesus' birth are familiar. Many people display major scenes in their yards and homes. Um, I just got one this year. I haven't had a major scene. We got a, we got a major scene, and I can't seem to keep Joseph upright. It keeps blowing over. But I just got a major scene, and I did notice. I noticed this. You notice when you get something, if you ever get something, it seemed like everyone else, you never noticed it before, but then all, you notice all the people that got the same thing. So I noticed a lot of people got major scenes in their yards. I never really paid much attention before, but now everybody seems to have the same major scene I do. And I was like, hey, that's pretty neat. I got one too. Everybody does that because that's kind of the quota for the holiday, right? But do you ever wonder if they actually know what that means? And do they, do we... Do Christians really know what that means? Do, do we even really know what's actually taking place there? Well, I think that's an interesting thought. So he said, um, we rejoice that people want to celebrate our Savior's birth. Absolutely. It is important that we study the biblical account of Jesus' birth so we can be prepared to share the story of his birth during the Christmas season. This week's study focuses on Christ's birth and those who came to worship him. May our study of this event encourage us to worship our Savior. Absolutely. So, yeah, it should be um, something that we're prepared to share. Now, I understand that it is difficult living in the area that we live in because everybody is pretty well, oh, how do I say it, saturated. Everyone in this area is pretty well saturated with, with religion. And I don't mean that necessarily negative. Don't take that the wrong way. But it is true. There's a lot of religious saturation in the Bible Belt areas. And you can't deny that. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But what it does is, is it creates this atmosphere where everybody has already heard it. And so they automatically start putting up walls. You ever try to talk to somebody and they're like, yeah, 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 I know that already. Yeah, 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 I already get that. Yeah, 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 I know. My grandma did that. My grandpa did that. It's not really my thing. See, what is, what's happened over the years in, in these areas is it's become um, so synonymous with the season that people don't take it seriously anymore. It, it's no different than the things that you've got at your own house, in your own yard. You become, it, it just is a, it's just there until something happens to wake you up to the fact that it actually has relevance and worth. That ever happened to anybody before? You don't really care about the rock that's out there in the yard until you want to make a garden. Does that make sense? It's, it's the same way. It's, it's, it's been there for so long. Doesn't have any relevance, doesn't got any purpose. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, it's been there the whole time. I, really need, I need to do something with that. That's a lot of the way that we are as people. And so when we try to share Jesus or we try to talk about it, people already say, oh, I already know all of that. Well, you have to be, as a, as a Christian, as somebody who truly believes, you have to be someone who's... Um, not only practical about the way that you approach that, but we don't need to be people to shy away from that. Don't shy away from talking about it, even though you're like, you know what? This is kind of weird. I don't even want to share this because they already know. No, they don't. No, they don't. Not the way that you're trying to give it. People already know this story. No, they don't. They've heard it the wrong way. They haven't heard it from you. They don't know your story. They don't know what God has done for you. They don't know what the birth of Jesus actually means to you. So there's relevance in you sharing the story regardless of the culture. And that's unique. That's different. That's different than what people hear on television. 
that's different than than just getting a, a small lesson here or there or getting something off YouTube, right? My goodness, we if witnessing has come down to just YouTube, then we've got problems. So it's it's I'm encouraging you to do this, and I'm not saying that you necessarily have had the opportunity. I'm not scolding you or anything like that. I'm just simply saying. If you come into contact with somebody and the conversation comes up and you're thinking, you know what, I really don't want to talk about this, please do. Go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and have the conversation. And, and let's get into the conversation about, hey, so when you die, where do you think you're going? Let's get into that. Because there was a Savior that died, and uh, he, he made it a point to make sure that we had access to him. Um, if we repent of our sins and accept him as Lord of our lives, that we don't have to go to a sinner's hell, that we can, we can be in heaven with him. That's a simple message. Can we agree with that? It's a simple message. Let's just make sure we don't complicate it. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, our scriptures this morning. Page 12. Go ahead, Haley. Page 2-1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged. She was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Matthew 2.1 Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Thank you. All right. Part one, the Savior is born. God often used government officials to accomplish his plans. He's still doing that today. <laughs> it ain't it always go the way you want it, but it'll always fall into God's plan. You remember that. Don't you ever forget it. God used Caesar Augustus's decree to send Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus' birth would fulfill the prophecy. So we obviously know that a census was called. Um, there were a lot of celebration going on in that time for the Roman Empire because they were celebrating, I think it was like their 750th anniversary uh, being in power. And so there was like this major uh, celebrations that were going on. But at the same time, you know, by calling this census, there was a registration. Uh, there was fees that had to be paid. And so this celebration was actually funded by a part of the census. So I think that's just an interesting thing for you to know. God used Caesar Augustus's decree to send Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus' birth would fulfill the prophecy in Micah 5 2. Luke was careful to put Jesus' birth uh, in historical context. Why? Because it was a historical event. It, it, uh, it, it, was, it was a historical event. And that's, that's an aspect that we've talked about in here before. Um, and some people struggle with certain aspects of you know, none of this was, you know, I hear some will say, well, you know, that the story was fabricated and it was actually representation of something else. Jesus was a real person. It's historical. Okay? I mean, you can't get away from that. And that's some of the stuff that boggles my mind in today's, uh, the time that we live in, is people are literally trying to go back and erase history uh, and try to pretend that there were certain things that were, that were actually there that, you know, and say that they weren't. Jesus was real. And you, you can say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. He, he walked the earth. He was real. You can't get away from that. So you can do whatever you, I mean, you can, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to be in denial, literally, of who Jesus is to deny that, that he walked on this earth and was a real individual. You know, even the agnostics and atheists, that hangs in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would much rather that Jesus never existed. That'd make their argument yes. a lot better. But no, it's historical. It's proven not only biblically, but by other history writers of the day. Yes. He existed. You can't, you can't remove that. It's like, okay, you can't get away from that. And so then that leads to, which I don't want to chase, chase the rabbit trail, but I mean, the things that he did are still being talked about today. That's the reason you and I are sitting here. Amen. And there is no other faith on the planet that has that kind of history that sold that many books, the Bible, Amen. and that has changed that many lives. Amen. No other faith on the face of the planet. I, I always, I look at it from a, from a, from a spiritual view, but I also look at it from a cognitive view. And I think, man, this makes sense on both accounts. Yep. There's, there's, no, there's no fault here. There's no error in this. And I think that that, that just adds more clout to our, to our, uh, our plight and what we're, we're trying to do. Okay, so uh, Rome often required its citizens to register for tax purposes. This was likely the first of two censuses under Quirinius's rule. The second was in AD 6. The one who would reign on David's throne would be born in David's town. As a descendant of David, Joseph was required to go there for the census. He took Mary with him. She was not required to go, but perhaps he did not want to leave her alone, possibly to face ridicule or gossip from those uh, in their village. Um, my personal thinking on that is because of the, the... We don't know exactly when they went. I mean, I, I know we got this kind of idea that the census was issued and they immediately jumped in a wagon and, and it was about five days travel and they immediately went and then they did the census. That's probably not what happened. There was probably a decree made, it was quite some time. We don't know exactly how much time they spent um, in Bethlehem. We don't, we don't really know, we don't have any record of that. Um, it's kind of an idea that, I mean, if you watch, what's the movie? What's the movie that? Is, no, no, the one that we watched here before on Mary and Joseph, Birth of Jesus. Nativity. The Nativity, okay. I think Nativity is a great show. Is it historically accurate? Probably not. I mean, and, and, and a lot of times we watch that and we're like, it's like, yeah, it was raining and they were running and then they ended up in this stable out in the middle of nowhere. It probably did not happen like that. And a lot of people get it, especially Western culture, we get so attached to these ideas that we think that that aspect of it has got to be true. You know, if it's anything other than them running in the rain, it, it's not biblical. It's like, hold on a second. The Bible didn't even mention that kind of stuff. And we, and we start defending ideas that didn't even really exist. And so when we start looking at the time frame, we see that they could have been in Bethlehem for a little while. And, um, and the, the events all kind of unfold. And I'll, and I'll talk about how uh, the lesson does this. And I, I don't necessarily agree with the lesson the way they put it, but I'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, where was I at? Oh, yeah. Through, uh, though Joseph had taken Mary as his wife, Luke still referred to them as being engaged, indicating that they had not had sexual relations. Some believe their official marriage took place in Bethlehem after Jesus was born. A careful study of the culture and language may challenge our traditional thinking on the place of Jesus' birth, but the biblical narrative is reliable and fits with the cultural norms of the day. Bethlehem was the home of Joseph's family, so most likely he and Mary stayed with them. While they were there indicates that Mary and Joseph had been in Bethlehem for an undisclosed period of time prior to Jesus' birth. Okay, I agree with that. When Luke stated that Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, he was probably indicating that Jesus had all the rights of the firstborn son. Mothers wrapped their babies in strips of cloth or swaddling clothes. We know this uh, is the biblical, the, the biblical text, uh, swaddling clothes, uh, to keep their limbs straight. So they would, they would wear swaddling clothes for up to a year after being born, uh, to, to help in growth and, and things of that nature. I mean, things are not obviously the same now, but that's, that was one of the reasons they wrapped these things. So they would take these cloths, and they were two strips. First they'd wrap the blanket, and then they'd wrap the two cloths, and they would pin the arms down. And it was to help with the growth process. And so um, the manger, is that where I'm at? Yeah. The manger was the feeding trough for the animals, which separated the place where animals stayed from the rest of the house. People often kept their animals within their homes, often in caves at the back of their houses. Now, let me just say this. The lesson is kind of chasing a trail here uh, under the assumption that they were staying with somebody in his family. I don't really agree with that because there's evidence of the, uh, 
the, the situation that they were involved in and where they were located, that they weren't in a house. Now, I know it's going to describe the, this whole thing as being that there was a cave at the back of the house where they kept the animals. I don't necessarily agree with that because there's nothing biblical to actually support that. Now, keep in mind, as we conversate with these, about these things, these are open-handed conversations, okay? None of this stuff is a make-or-break deal. So if you think he was staying with the family, Mary and Joseph was, fine. You go ahead and go that direction. I will tell you this. There's nothing biblical to support that. We don't have anything on that. Now, could there have been some people that have studied pretty in-depth? I've studied some of this stuff, and I've never found anything in there about, about this taking place in the family's home. And I'll tell you why here in just a minute. So he said, um, people often kept their animals uh, within their homes, often in the caves at the back of their houses. Mary and Joseph may have been staying in a room attached to his father's house, and the room was too small to accommodate those who were helping Mary with the birth. Jesus, therefore, was probably born in the area of the house near where they, uh, they kept the animals. The manger was a ready-made baby crib. So they're, they're talking about it in reference to the house. He was born in what we would call a, a succot, and that's the, the actual Hebrew term for it. That was an outdoor, uh, just basic, a basic square area uh, for animals, and the feeding trough was smack dab in the middle of it. It was for animals. And so when they talk about that uh, being in the house, I see more evidence to the fact that it was not associated with anything connected to a house, that it was actually by itself. The reason I bring that up is because all the animals that were being grown in that area in Bethlehem were sacrifices for temple. I think that's interesting to me that Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, would be born in the same place that the temple sacrifices were being born. To me, that's more interesting than anything else. And so uh, considering... Considering all those things, I really think that there's something to that. But, once again, it's an open-handed conversation. It's not something to get broken over. Because some people get argumentative and they want to say, no, that's not the case. But I think there's something to that. And I think that's really amazing. Think about this. All of the, the, the lambs that were used in daily, the daily sacrifices were raised and born out of Bethlehem. Isn't that ironic that the Lamb of God would be born in Bethlehem? That's, to me, that's, man, there's just something to that. And so, um, to me, there's, there's just something there. I think that's good. Okay. Um, the word translated in refers to a lodging place to stay uh, accom- accommodations. It, would also, it also can refer to a guest room or a dining room. In 2211, Luke used this word for the room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover. You see a little bit of crossover there. The word for in, as in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10.34, was different from the word in 2.7. Bethlehem, a small village, probably did not have public uh, accommodations. And so when they talk about an inn, an inn was basically a, giant, a gigantic yard area where they kept animals for feeding and stuff for travelers. And there were these open huts that surrounded the yard. That was what an inn was. And so I, I, I tell you that it's real primitive, like super primitive. The idea of us, and once again, it's a Western culture. You think a guy was sitting at a little in a little booth, taking people's money as they were coming in, and say, "Oh, no vacancy." No, it didn't go. It did not go down like that. There was no. It didn't happen like that. And plus, we assume also that this whole thing took place in what? One night. We all think it happened in one night. Well, we might want to consider, and I, I find this to be true, is that the area didn't actually have the, the economic basis for having a bunch of areas for travelers to be in. And so was there an inn? Possibly not one for a ways. They didn't have availability. Maybe there was one, maybe there was two, but there was no availability. And so once again, we got to get away from the nativity movie and, and, and our idea of what that actually looked like. I love looking into this stuff and thinking, oh, wow, it didn't really happen the way that I thought it did. That's kind of neat. So, once again, just uh, something to consider. Okay, let's go to section 2. Luke 2, eight states that the shepherds were out in the field guarding the sheep while they lambed. Nothing about the night was unusual. There were simply They were simply doing their job, Luke 2 and 8. 
until the angel of the Lord appeared. Naturally, the shepherds were terrified. The angel, however, had good news for them. The good news was the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. Jesus' birth is in a lowly manger shows the contrast of the true Savior with those who had earthly claim. The angel's announcement would bring great joy to everyone, especially the shepherds. So we, we talked we talked briefly about the you know what they were mentioning at the beginning of the lesson that he had shepherds coming to worship him, lowly shepherds. Now, if you do, do some research on the job description of a shepherd, these people were not clean people. They went for long periods of time without bathing, and uh, they were really away from people for long periods of time, which made them kind of weird to people. They were kind of nutty. Isn't that funny? That's who Jesus called to be the first ones on the scene to worship him. That's, that's really been the whole thing about who Jesus chooses. He always chooses the most unqualified people. So who's qualified to worship a king? We think, well, another king or somebody of stature. Now he goes out and he gets the shepherds. Y'all show up. Y'all worship. First ones. Well, they were at the right time. It was who he was going to be. Mm -hmm. Lowly. Yeah. It was a theme. Absolutely. And so you can see there's so much there's so much symbolism in the story, too. I mean, you can see exactly what he was representing and what he was calling this to. Now, of course. The, the wise men is a different story, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But calling the shepherds and, and then seeing, obviously, their response with the, with the angel, we obviously know that by prophecy they were expecting this, right? They've been expecting a Savior. The, the wise men had identified this in the stars. They were like, okay, this thing is the prophecy is lining up. We're, we're, we're getting everything, all the information we need. We need to go. And so... Um, to see the response of the people in for the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, let's fast forward to today. That was a lot of excitement within this given area. We had shepherds worshiping. We had, um, I'll get to the wise men here in a minute. They, they came and they worshiped. There was a bit of excitement, a, a bit of gratefulness. And I come back to the first thing that I said is that we have to be very careful about overlooking the story so quickly and stop and just really consider how thankful we should be for what has been given. Because you're, you exist. I mean, I'm talking about your existence. You exist right now because of him. That, there's a lot there. I, don't, I hope that we haven't gotten so much into this world and we've become so numb that we don't even realize that. It's like, oh yeah, it's passive now. It's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal that we have this opportunity right now to be thankful for him. You know, the time period when Jesus was born is pretty intriguing. It was ancient. Yeah. Uh, compared to, of course, to today. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a spot in history that, that God planned for this event to take place. Uh, right. Had it been today. Yeah, I thought about that. The star would have been passed off as UFO and who cares about a kid being born in the ghetto. Yeah, you know, uh, exactly. No. No. They would the media would have suppressed it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the new term? Uh, social media uh, suppression. It would have been misinformation. It would have been misinformation. There is no savior that has been born. <laughs> we go a lot of different directions with it. That's Russian good. Collusion. Yeah, it's a Russian collusion that Jesus has been born. Jesus' birth in a lowly manger shows the contrast of the true savior with those earthly claim. I already read that, I'm sorry. The angels used three titles to describe Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. The Old Testament often referred to God as Savior. Messiah or Christ describes the one who would reign on David's throne. The title Lord stands in opposition to the emperors of that day and has eternal ramifications, Revelation 11:15. Well, one of the reasons, too, you know, and I, I come back to the, the way that people viewed, um, like, uh, well, I mean, you, you mentioned that, I think, uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria at that time. The, the, the way that kings wanted to be viewed was as gods. And so they demanded often worship the same way that you would 
they would worship a god. They were wanted to be worshipped the same way. And so for him to come in with the name of Lord brings brought superiority. It's like, you, you know, you think you're a god, but I am a god. I am the god. So I, I think that's really definitive when he, brought, when he brings in those names. Those names mean something. The baby in the manger was Messiah and Lord. God had fulfilled his promise of the Messiah. The angel gave a sign to prove the message was true. They would find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast host of others joined this angel. Here we get a glimpse of the praise that took place in heaven at the coming of the Messiah. Those with whom God is pleased specifically points to Israel, but it applies to everyone who turns to this Savior and experiences peace. So, and I've been, been hitting this thankful aspect. Okay, it's like, okay, I get that, Tanner. I know that part of the story already. Now, here's another part that I'm thankful for. <clears throat> I am thankful, and this is for you too, for something that we did not create. You didn't create this. Most of the time, thankfulness, you know, when you're thankful for something, it's usually direct. You know, you're thankful because you acquired something. You may have worked for it or whatever. It's always direct. Direct, 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 direct. Well, it's kind of like being thankful. Let's just look at it from a, from a countryman's standpoint. We are thankful for our veterans, right? Why? Because we didn't have to go fight. They fought. It means something to me as a person. It's honor, something that is not talked about much. These men uh, and women were honorable people, and they went and they fought for this country, and they died for this country, that you and I could be free. I didn't have to do it. They did it. They put the work in. They put the time in, and they put the sacrifice out there, and they made it. I didn't create it. They did now, on a much different scale, and a much different perspective, I did not create the spiritual atmosphere that I live in. I simply access it. He did. He did it. And so I'm thankful because I had nothing to do with it. He didn't have to do it that way. It could have been any other way. You think about it. You were completely out of the mix. You were not born yet. You had no ability to choose. You were just, you were a thought somewhere off in the lineage of, of man and then now it is uh, rolled to today and now I look back and I see all the things that were done for me that I could be here right now doing this and that makes me thankful that makes me thankful for a savior for all the planning and all the time I think that that means something to me all right um, believing the angel's message the shepherds wanted to see this newborn baby, so they hurried into the city to find him. Since Bethlehem was a small town, they searched until they found Jesus. What they found confirmed the angel's message. Likely the shepherds told Mary and Joseph what the angel had said. Their words must have confirmed uh, to this young couple that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. As they returned to their sheep, they told everyone they met the good news of Jesus' birth. Now, why was it good news? Because it was prophesied that he would come. Now that's first, because there was a prophecy and they were waiting for it to be fulfilled. It was fulfilled. So on top of that, though, what did that mean? They had their Savior. They had the one that had been promised to them. They had the one who was going to bring redemption to mankind. Now, of course, they still had this idea that he was going to set up a king, kingdom. He was going to overthrow Rome. That was the big thing. Um, I, I always come back to that because... It's like a theme. When God speaks to me, especially when I was in my like my 20s and my early teens, when I heard God's voice, I always I had these kind of Rome expectations. You know, like he would speak to me, and I was like, I know what that means. This is what's going to happen. Anyone ever done that other than me? I hope I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> it's like, this is what he's going to do. He's going to do great things. And he did do great things. But he didn't do it like I was expecting him to. He didn't do he didn't overthrow Rome for me. Didn't happen. I was still under Rome's rule. I was still having to deal with all the drama. Did he do great works? You better believe he did. He done some amazing stuff over the years in my life. Been recounting a lot of that lately. But it didn't happen the way that I, I thought it would. And, and at the time it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And so I, I tell you I'm telling you that this this morning because 
often that's exactly what we position we find ourselves in. Our expectations of what we were wanting didn't happen the way that we wanted it to. But if we'll, if we'll stop, if we'll not get in a rush, and we think about what God actually has done, and we consider the scriptures on being content, then we'll find that he has done exactly that what we needed. He did it. Church, to me, that's some of the greatest things that you and I could ever acquire. I mean, does, you know, he doesn't have to, you know, for him to, yeah, could he have went in and overthrown Rome and set up his kingdom? Sure, if he had wanted to, to do it that way, he could have. But he'd come in, he'd come in the back door, so to speak. And as Pastor put it, he hung out in the ghetto. <laughs> Off the radar. <clears throat> and nobody would have expected that, but that's the way he chose to come. Proving to you and I, it's kind of, think about this. If a polit, when a politician, when a politician is uh, out campaigning, and if he wants to be known for somebody who is a people person, he gets out on the street and he gets in some of the most undesirable places to campaign, and that's where he hangs out at. Jesus wanted to prove to everybody that this was for all people not just the kings and the rich. And so in order to do that, he said, no, 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 that's not the way we're going to do it. We're coming way low, and I'm going to hang out with these guys. And this is where I'm going to be born, and this is where I'm going to be raised, and this is where the ministry is going to start, and you're going to ultimately kill me because of who I say that I am, because of who I am. So think about that. Think about that in your own life. Think about what God's doing right now in your life that may not measure up to what you thought it should be. Um, I'm 43. I think it'll be 44 in a couple months. And I'm really starting to think back, and I thought, you know what? There were some expectations I had. I had some expectations. Now, some people would say, well, you know, God's still going to give it to you. No, 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 no. you got to understand something. I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned about unrealistic expectations over the years. I've learned about believing God for the wrong things. And I've learned a great deal about coming into areas in my life when it's just, you know what it's time to do? It's time to let go of things that we've been holding on to ever since maybe or even our childhoods and start to realize that this is reality. This is reality. America teaches everybody these days, just go live your dreams. Go after your dreams. Your dreams aren't always conducive to having a good relationship of the Lord. Don't, 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 don't let me say that again. Our dreams are not always conducive to having a good relationship in the Lord. Sometimes your dreams will take you away from Him. Reality. Sometimes we got to backpedal a little bit to find out exactly where we're really at and give up on things that aren't realistic because they just don't they just don't work in our lives anymore. Okay. Mary's response. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Mary's response was still processing all that was taking place. Uh, it would be later, possibly even after Jesus' resurrection when she would understand the full significance of who Jesus is. The shepherds who supplied the lambs for temple sacrifices were the first to hear of God's redemptive plan through Jesus, the Lamb of God. Okay, moving to section three. Hey, we're going to finish. <laughs> the wise men worship. Matthew noted the place of Jesus' birth. Herod ruled from 37 B.C. until he died in 4 B.C., Jesus was probably born about 6 B.C. Wise men from the east saw the star, likely a supernatural creation by God, and understood it to be a sign of the birth of Israel's king. They followed the star to Jerusalem. The wise men's statement disturbed Herod. The people of Jerusalem knew Herod's anger and were concerned. And they, when he was angry because he had been hearing about the prophecy of this king, who was going to be born, and of course his ego and, and the way that they looked at kingship was somebody there's a king coming in to take over i can't let that happen and so of course he goes and he he's great a great uh, massacre of babies so herod consulted with the religious leaders they knew where the messiah was to be born but did not know that he had been born instead god had revealed the news to jewish shepherds and wealthy gentile wise men now here's another question for you this is interesting to me why didn't he tell the rich and the wealthy because they were intimidated. And so this is if this is if, if Herod is any example at all of the way they would have responded, they responded with jealousy and anger. 
And so you couldn't tell. You can't tell kings that there's another king in their midst. It wasn't going to work for them. They know we're going to tell the lowly. It, from a strategic perspective, it was perfect. I mean, I know why he did it, but do you, under, do you see that he accomplished like numerous things by doing it this way? Numerous things were, were accomplished. And so it's they got to reveal the news to Jewish shepherds and wealthy Gentile wise men. Herod fiend on desire to worship Jesus, but was bent on destroying the one who might usurp his throne. Do you remember what he said? He goes, you know, tell me where he's at because I want to worship him too. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is not a good formula. He's gonna he's gonna go have the baby killed. He's gonna find a way to 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 take care of this king before this king can. Uh, and it's funny too because he was never going to ascend the throne that way. They were afraid of something that actually didn't even exist. Now think about that. Think about the think about the effort that he went to to try to stop Jesus from supposedly ascending the throne and, and ruling. Well, he was never going to do it that way. But the believers and the non-believers all believe the same thing. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome, and he's going to, he's going to be the king. And that was never the plan. And so how does that apply for you and me today? Well, first of all, you, know, you want to know that historically speaking. But the other part of it is, is how it bleeds into your own life that often we don't fully understand what God is doing in our lives. Nor where, do we even understand where he's leading us. Uh, some of the things that I've learned recently, and when I say recently, probably within the past 12 months, some personal things, just things about myself, things about God's plan for my family, about for you know, uh, just the way that I do things as individuals. I, I, I couldn't even possibly tell you how much value I would place on things that he's revelated to me as an individual. And nothing was as I planned it. Nothing. You could say, for a, for a bit of time, I've been a bit disappointed. Well, it didn't happen the way I thought it would. I sure thought that was going to go down like that. And after I really stepped back and really considered all things, I was extremely thankful. Because the series of events that happened led me to an ultimate conclusion of much higher value than getting somewhere in life. Now, the, the place that you really want to get to is a greater revelation in here. It's not out here. Uh, the, the more things that you get out here the more things that you have to worry about. <laughs> Anybody with me? The more things you get, the more things you got to worry about. And uh, as I get older, the less things to worry about, the better. <laughs> there's more things, there's more things uh, for other people to worry about. Y'all can worry about those things. I, I, I say that we should consider that God is moving us in a direction in our lives. You should consider that if you don't fully understand the direction right now, at some point you will. But you will most definitely derive out of it something of much greater value than what you were expecting. You were thinking of a small journey. It didn't happen that way. Anyone, anyone ever had a plan or God spoke something to you and it took a whole lot longer than you thought? Nobody. That's ever happened to nobody. And it just took some time. You thought, you know, I always put numbers on things like, especially when it happens, you know, God speaks something to you or you get a revelation. It's like... I think it's going to happen within the next year. It'll happen within the next year, 20 years later. You're like, any time now. Any time. See, God's time is not our time. But what if God had given you what you desired at the time that you wanted it, would you have learned anything? It is the journey of following him that is of the highest value. The highest value. So I don't know where you're at in your life to, to, today. I hope that you know, you're... you're uh, in a place where you're thriving with the Lord, but if you're in a place in your life where you're questioning, you're like, I don't even know what the next step is. Hang on. Hang in there. It'll come clear soon, but it's probably not going to happen the way that you think it should happen. So just be patient. All right, I don't know why I said all that. Anyway, let's just keep moving. Um, as they continue the journey, the star, the Magi, had been uh, seen earlier reappeared, Matthew 2 and 9. The star guided them to the house where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were staying. Matthew describes the intensity of their joy in seeing the star as at last they would see this king of the Jews. By this time, Jesus would have been at least one year old, right? One year old, um, not the depiction of movies where they just happened to show up miraculously on the very night that he was born. <laughs> there was no social media back then. There was no vehicles. There were camels. 
And so the, the, the travel time and, and things that actually, I mean, Misty and I were talking about this. You do research on certain scriptures in the Bible, and there is massive amounts of time between certain scriptures. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, there could be 10 years, 15 years. I mean, massive ma- amounts of time that separate quotes in the Bible. And we don't fully get it because we just read it in succession. We assume it's all in the same time frame. It's not. It doesn't always work that way. So they had seen him. He'd been about a year old. Uh, the Magi accomplished their goal to worship the king of the Jews. And they brought gifts in the ancient East, bringing gifts to one who was superior, was common. So this was kingship. They represented kingship. Because we bring gifts to a king. He's a king. Some have tried to find hidden meaning in these gifts. However, they were simply expensive gifts that one would present uh, to a king. Likely, the gifts provided Joseph and Mary with the funds they needed for the upcoming trip to Egypt to protect the baby Jesus from Herod's scheme. The gifts also fulfilled prophecies. Do you remember, we we know uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Once again, gold, frankincense, and myrrh often become a Christmas fad in just talking about it. These were real things. And, and they brought them to a, of, high, of high expense and of something of high worth. Uh, so we, come, we, we know that the shepherds have been called to worship, but then we get the other end of the spectrum in the wise men. They were wealthy, right? They weren't kings, but they were wise, representing wisdom. And they came. So we get two, two different ends of the spectrum. We have the... We have uh, the lowly shepherd, right, with not much of, but other than themselves, in the <coughs> wise, wealthy men, and they both converge to the same place to worship the king. Now, to me, that's great representation. That's how it should be. Okay. And I'm sorry, I just lost my spot. The gifts, uh, like, okay, I already read all that. The gifts also fulfilled prophecies. God warned the Magi not to return to Jerusalem. Obeying what they saw in the dream, the Magi took another route home, obviously avoiding Herod and his scheme to try to figure out, because he, he's like, hey, if you figure out where they're at, let us know. And so they took a different route in order to avoid the questioning altogether, and which ultimately was a fantastic thing, because, I mean, God knows how to line things up, right? And he lined it up to protect his son uh, and made sure that he never knew the actual location. All right, so we're close, uh, closing this lesson up. There's a lot to, maybe none of these things are new to you. And I, I'm, I'm going back to that. Maybe they're not new. You was like, I know all about the wise men, and I know about the shepherds, and maybe even some of the small things that we talked about that were more intricate about the time frames and stuff like that. Maybe you already know all of that stuff. That's great. It, it wasn't really deal breakers anyway. But be thankful for a Savior. Be thankful that you and I uh, have such a gift that has been given to us that, that t- today that we can access him. And whether you decide to come to the altar, whether you pray where you're at, or whether you go home and pray, you have access to the throne because of the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you guys. Thank you. Amen.